you have your Bibles, open up to, well, we're going to be in, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 14. We're going to get a little background in Joshua, in, uh, excuse me, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So maybe put your finger or your little ribbon bookmarker in Joshua 14 and then turn over to Numbers 13 for a little background. Uh, well, my name is Stephen Elliott. I'm the pastor of high school ministries here at Grace. And our dear and beloved executive pastor, Tim Allen, got married yesterday. We're very happy for him and excited about that. Um, and so, and also our senior pastor, John, is away this morning. Uh, we were uh, told him to take the, take the weekend off. He was at, we were, the wedding was up in Benicia and said, take the weekend off. And so, well, the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> You thought I was so nice for volunteering to preach, but there's a reason why. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so do you know people, while well, you're turning there, we're going to be talking about Caleb this morning. And do you know people who seem to just defy aging or who age really well, maybe, or who like just do amazing physical feats in spite of their age when everyone else around them kind of doesn't seem to be doing as well. They just do really incredible things. For example, just recently, Alexander Doba from Poland kayaked across the Atlantic Ocean for the third time at age 70. Incredible. And if you, if you can Google pictures of him, you can kind of see a little bit of his kayak there. Um, but, I mean, it was, it's pretty incredible looking. I mean, he paddled that thing all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, in his interview, he's like, yeah, you know, I really didn't sleep a whole lot on this trip. I'm like, you think I worry about dying? Or this one is really incredible. Yuchiro Miura from Japan climbed Mount Everest at age 70, set the record as the oldest person to conquer Everest, and then broke his own record at 75, and then broke it again at 80. Incredible. He said, <laughs> he said on the descent down after when he was 80, on the descent down, it was a little difficult. <laughs> you, you think? Good grief. I love this one. 99-year-old Doretha Daniels. She got her associate's degree from the College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita because, quote, she wanted to better herself. I love that. She had to overcome several strokes, sight and hearing problems, and the revocation of her driver's license. That's, that's my favorite one. This is also a great one. I don't know if you've heard of Louis Zamperini. He was a World War II hero. He was a subject of the book and the movie Unbroken. At 81, decides to learn how to skateboard. Incredible. I love that one. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about Caleb and the path of most resistance. This man is really an incredible person. He would be on par with or, or beyond any of these people that we just, that we just talked about. Uh, he was a person that, in spite of his age, was willing to take on difficult tasks and trials, ones that for most, for most folks would just, they would just want to, like, 
gladly bow out and walk away from. Just say, no, that one's not for me. Um, but Caleb was a man who, in spite of his, his age, uh, when everyone else around him was like, no, no, not for me, he, he was like, oh, I'm all in. Sign me up. That's, that's the job for me. <coughs> By the way, I got a side note. Uh, with our incredible air quality, I've had a pretty bad cough all week long. So if I stopped to cough, I apologize for that. To give you a little background to this story, before we jump into Joshua 14, um, like I said, be, uh, look, look in Numbers 13 and 14. And at this point in, in the, the history of Scripture, um, the nation of Israel has left Egypt. If you remember, they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And through Moses, God called them out of slavery. And he said, I have a land for you. I have this land. Uh, it is your land. It is, it is the land, the very land that I promised to your uh, ancestor Abraham. Uh, it is the land set aside where you will stand as my light and my example in this fallen and broken world, where your nation will be set aside as my people, where you will represent me to this, on this earth. And the Israelites left Egypt, and they were right on the brink of the promised land. They were right on the, the very, uh, right on the, the cusp, the, the border of the land that God has set aside for them. And God, through Moses, sent 12 people into the land to, to spy it out, um, 12, 12 men, and they were to report back on everything that they found in the land. And, and Moses gave them very specific instructions. He told them what to search for, and he told them to look for resources, you know, figure out what kind of resources are in this land, look at what the opposition will be like, what kind of people we will be facing. He never gave them instructions to decide on whether or not they should actually take the land, and that's really important to realize. They were only supposed to, supposed to report back on what, that, what was in the land. They were never supposed to report back on whether or not. It was never their decision on whether or not they were supposed to take this land. That had already been decided. Of these 12, two of the spies were Joshua and Caleb. And when they returned, 10 of the spies gave this report. And this is what we're going to look at in Numbers 13, uh, verses 27. And we'll, we'll jump around a little bit in this, in this section, in verses like 27 to 33. But listen to this. It says, and, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they carried this big bunch of grapes that literally had to be carried between two men on a pole. And this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And these were people that referenced, that referenced back this, this group, this tribe of people that were known for their massive size. I mean, they were referred to as giants. They were these, this, for whatever reason, uh, you know, biologically, they were just massive people. In verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people from Moses, before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land and th that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. 
and in the very end, and we seem to, to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so, we, and so we seem to them. In spite of everything, in spite of all this opposition, Caleb was this man who said, we can do it. He was a guy who was like Rosie the Riveter, rolled up his sleeves, and had a can-do attitude. He was a guy that saw this fear and this opposition, and in spite of everything, didn't, didn't shy away from it. And when everyone else was just completely paralyzed with fear, he looked at it and said, you know what? In spite of all that, the Lord told us to take this land. Yes, he didn't disagree with these guys. He didn't say, oh, no, no, they were like sissies. They're like, oh, little pygmies running around. And he, there, there was no disagreement on the, the, the number of people and the opposition that they would face. But in spite of all that, uh, Caleb said, yes, we can do it because God has promised us this land. If you jump to Numbers 14, you see that this report has turned the hearts of the people against Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. The whole nation of Israel, because of this report, were just terrified. And isn't it, it's, it, I never get tired of these stories. It's, it's, it's always the same thing. These reports, God promises, God says, I will do this. You are given this land, I will be with you, you go take it. They get this one report of what the people are like, and they're like, oh no, why God? Why me? And they want to go back to Egypt. They're always oh, safe in Egypt. It was good in Egypt. Are you guys kidding me? Don't you remember what it was like? But the report turned the people against, uh, and ultimately against the Lord. And they want to return to Egypt. And God passes judgment on this generation of, of Israelites. And in Numbers 14, 22, it says this. It says, none of the men, and this is God speaking judgment on, on the nation, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and all, this is verse 29, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And this is the beginning of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. For 40 years, because of this incident, for 40 years, God did not allow this generation to cross into the very land he promised them. And he stayed with them. He was faithful in spite of them. And he stayed with them, but they had to wander in the, for, in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. And the next generation, as, and as the next generation rose up, and as the previous generation died off, God finally said, all right, now is the time to take the land. And fast forward 40 years later, amazing, they took the land just as God said they would do. And when the new, genera the new generation came in, God was faithful, just like he said he was, and they took this land. And in Joshua, and that's Joshua's 1 to 12. And so in Joshua 13 to 22, Joshua is dividing up this land that's been conquered, and that's where we come to our story in Joshua 14. And he starts with the tribe of Judah, which Caleb was a part of. 
And Caleb, because of his faithfulness, he, in this story, he reveals that Moses had promised him basically his pick of the land, of the land that would be allotted to his tribe. He could choose within that the land that he wanted. And this is the story that we come to. So in Joshua 14, it's on the screen behind me if you didn't bring your Bible, but in Joshua 14, 6 through 15, it says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the land in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And those were the people that were talking about these, these giants that, that caused the, the other spies to fear so much. Verse 13, Then Joshua blessed him and he gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. In other words, Caleb went in and he won. He went in and he kicked Bootay. <laughs> I didn't say that in the first service. <clears throat> we, see, we see that even, even though the land was conquered as a whole, uh, even though, even though the, the major fighting had been done in the massive cities uh, like Jericho and others had been conquered and defeated, um, and now it was time to kind of divvy up the land, there was still these little pockets of resistance in all, the different, in all the different areas. And actually in Judges chapter 1, it reveals other pockets of resistance. But what's interesting about that chapter in Judges 1 is that it says that the other tribes didn't take care of those pockets of resistance, and it actually came back to bite them. And because of that, it shows why God wanted these people eliminated from the land is because, because of those pockets— the people of Israel, they started following those idols and they started becoming interested. They started becoming friends with those people that served other gods, but not Caleb. Caleb was different. Caleb saw them for what they were and he realized the job wasn't done. God's command has not been completely fulfilled. And so there is still work yet to do. There is still ministry to take place. And so call on me, I will go and take care of it. And Hebron, this area that Caleb was talking about, Hebron was like deep in the hill country, uh, deep in the center part of, of the tribe allotted to the, um, or the land allotted to the tribe of Judah. So he wasn't asking for like, okay, give me the valleys, that like sweet spot by the river where it's nice and easy. He said, you know, give me the roughest, 
most central point where there's still resistance, where there's still people that don't know the name of my God, and I want to go and I want to conquer them. And Caleb was fully committed to following the Lord with all that he was and all that he had. He wasn't about to ignore or excuse God's command just because it was difficult, just because it wasn't easy anymore. And I think that's really the message of this morning. That's, I think that's the message of this text and what, what this is trying to tell us, is that we need to be a people who take on the, the trials that come with following the Lord. And that's your main point. If you're taking notes, we need to be a people who take on the trials that come with following the Lord. You and I know that it's not always easy to say yes to God. In fact, you and I know it's really, really difficult at times to walk in obedience. But we need to be a people who face those difficulties, who take those trials head on. Now, the trials I'm talking about, and this is, I think this is also important, the, the trials I'm talking about this morning and in this context are not, are not trials that just come with life. Trials that just happen that we have no control of. I'm talking about the, the loss of a loved one, uh, the loss of a job that just happens unexpectedly. Um, what, what folks in, in Florida and Houston must be going through right now. That's just, that's just difficulties that, that we can't control that just happen. And those, those are certainly trials, and God uses those. But this morning, the trials and the difficulties that I'm talking about are ones that we can choose to avoid if we want to. Ones that we can choose to say no to or to like turn a blind eye like, oh, didn't, didn't see that over there. Um, one, again, the ones that we have some control of. Um, I'm not talking about the trials that say like Job went through. I'm talking more about uh, in, in Acts 21, I, I thought of this example. In Acts 21, uh, Paul very much feels and knows that the Spirit is leading him to go to Jerusalem and to preach there and to share the gospel there. But he also knows that with that is going to come tremendous difficulty. And actually, on his journey back, as he's journeying from where he's at back to Jerusalem, he has multiple people, believers, who are saying, the Spirit has told me that when you get to Jerusalem, you will be arrested, you will be put on trial, you will be in prison, uh, that you will be bound, that, that it will be very difficult. And his friends are actually begging him not to go because of this. And he says, what are you doing? Breaking my heart. You, you know I have to go. He, he knew that in spite of what he was going to face, he knew that it was the Lord that was calling him and telling him to go, and so he went. That's the kind of trials I'm talking about this morning. Caleb, if you look at verse 14 in Joshua, uh, in Joshua 14, verse 14, it says, Hebron became the inheritance, became his inheritance, it says, because he wholly followed the Lord. I think what it's saying there is that Caleb knew, for whatever reason, Caleb in his heart knew that the Lord was the one that was leading him. He followed the Lord's leading to take Hebron. It wasn't just like, he was like, okay, what do I want? There's a map. Oh, shoot, I picked Hebron. Uh, he sensed and knew that the Lord was leading him to take this land. And because of that leading, he was, a, he was successful in that. But what does this look like for us in our, in our 21st century? What, is this, what does this look like for us? I think one is that we need to be confident. We need to be people who are confident and certain in our inheritance. 
<coughs> we need to be confident and certain in our inheritance. In verse 9, Caleb claims and, and, and comments and remembers and refers back to the inheritance that was promised to him 45 years earlier. And he was confident and certain in that. Caleb's boldness and certainty and strength didn't lie in himself. And I think that's important to realize. It wasn't that Caleb was just super macho and like really, really manly and just really tough and that Caleb just loved fighting and loved war. He wasn't like that. Caleb was certain and confident in his inheritance and what was his and, what in, the, and in what the Lord had promised. And so he just stepped forward in obedience. He just acted on what the Lord had promised him. And we need to do the same thing. I hope that this message isn't, all right, you sissies, let's get tough. You know, all right, we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and just be a man and rub some dirt on it. No, that's, that's not the message of this morning. The message of this morning is that we need to be a people who know and are confident in the inheritance that we have in Christ. And in what we have in Christ, when we know what we have in Christ, we can step forward in obedience, knowing that he has already won the battle for us, knowing that we have victory because we have his Holy Spirit in us. Listen to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. If you have any doubt about our inheritance and who we are in Christ and where we stand in him, listen to this. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, before God spoke a galaxy, the galaxies into existence, he had us in mind. He had chosen us even before he spoke the worlds into place, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, not through our works, not through our goodness, not through our, our toughness or anything, but through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. If we ever think, man, I don't know what to do. I don't, I, don't, I don't have enough insight into this. Listen, we have the very mind of Christ. We know the will of God. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Listen to this. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. If you ever doubt for a moment, if you are forgiven, if you have given your life over to Jesus and you doubt your salvation and you doubt your faith or you feel like, oh, I've messed up too much. I'm worthless. I can't, you know, I, I've gone too far. I'm not an example. I'm not a role model. Look at who we are in Jesus. 
The next time you're afraid to face a situation that you know you are called to do, think about that. Think about the power that we possess in Christ. So we need to be confident and certain in our inheritance. Secondly, we need to be consistent and faithful in our obedience. Be consistent and faithful in your obedience. Three times in this, in this section that we read in Joshua 14, in verses 8, 9, and 14, it says of Caleb that he wholly followed the Lord. Three different times, Caleb, it says he wholly followed the Lord. Listen, when you're reading something, just a tip, when you're reading something in Scripture and you notice repetition, especially in a, in a very short amount of time, Pay attention to that because that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the author's way of like bold, highlighting, underlining the text. Um, he is trying to, trying to get your attention, draw your focus to something. He's trying to make a point. Um, the author is making the point that Caleb really wholly followed the Lord. And I think it's important to realize that it doesn't say Caleb perfectly followed the Lord because there is a difference. Nobody, except Jesus, perfectly follows the Lord. But I think what it's saying is that Caleb continually, increasingly, consistently throughout life strove to get his life more and more and more in line with the Lord's leading. He tried all through life to become more and more and more like the Lord, to listen to his voice more closely, to obey it more perfectly, to become more like him. It's a, perfection, it's a direction, not perfection. How many people do you know who partially follow the Lord? How many people do you know that initially follow the Lord, but they don't wholly follow the Lord? How sad, you and I, I know we can, we can all think of people that they start out so well and then they just kind of taper off. They just kind of take a break for a little bit, and then that, then that little break in their spiritual, in their, in their walk with the Lord grows greater and greater and greater to where that, that short little weekend off turns into summer vacation and turns into full-blown retirement from, <laughs> eh, that, that, that Jesus thing I did for a while was great, but I, I'm moving on to something else. I'm retired from that. How sad but not Caleb. Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Sadly, I think, I think that for some people, I think that they equate retirement in work or retirement in life with retirement in ministry, retirement in, in walking with the Lord, in retirement from serving the Lord. But that is not the case. That is not what we are called to do. Caleb was not like that. And on the flip side, I've seen people, and you have too, who, when they retire from work, they're like, sweet, now I am full-time for ministry. Now that I have even more time to devote to growing closer to the Lord. Um, they don't dust off their Bible. They're like, man, now I can get even more into the Bible. I can engage in even more time in studying God's Word. I can serve even more faithfully. There's, there's folks that come out to our campuses. They're, they're retired. They just come out. They don't, they don't call ahead of time. They don't, you know, check and see if it's okay. They're just out there, and they're, they're just cutting weeds or they're trimming bushes, or they're fixing pipes. They just love to serve the Lord. I've been called by people that are like, hey, I've got time 
Do you need help on a mission trip? Do you need help serving? Is there something that I can do? I just want to serve. I've got way more time available and I want to give it to the Lord. That's the kind of attitude that we all need to have. We need to look at our time and say, you know what? This is the Lord. I'm going to give everything I can to his service. I've seen elderly folks who might not have the strength of Caleb. They might not at 85 be able to say, hey, where's my sword? I can still go fight. But they still say, you know what? I'm going to give everything I can of, of what I am able to. One person, as I was thinking through this message, she, she instantly came to mind. Um, she's actually with the Lord now, uh, which is really great. But she was a gal. Her name was Irene Todd. Many of you probably remember Irene. Uh, but I mean, she was maybe five feet tall. But I mean, just just a giant spiritually. She just glowed with the joy of the Lord. And uh, you could not have a conversation with her and not just fall more and more in love with Jesus after talking with her. But I remember this one time years ago, I, I went over to her house to, to help with something. Um, and afterwards I had this convert, I was just sitting and chatting with her and, and talking with her. And, um, and I remember her telling, you know, talking about her her, her walk with the Lord and how she was saying how she really can't, physically she just can't do as much now, um, which was understandable. I mean, she was like late 80s when we had this conversation. And um, she told me this, she, she reminded me of the story in 1 Samuel where David and his men had been out campaigning and they'd returned back to their home and the Amalekites had completely um, just taken, they, they had gone through their camp and had taken all their stuff and had taken their wives and their children and it just devastated the men, the soldiers. And it said after, after they, they all wept, then David's men went in pursuit of the Amalekites. It said, but some of the men were so exhausted they couldn't continue in the pursuit. And it said, so they stayed back and guarded the camp and guarded the stuff. And I remember Irene saying, you know, I'm not strong enough to go out and, and fight in the, the, the front lines anymore, but I can still stay back with the stuff and pray. And I mean, she was talking about like all the things that, I mean, she showed me your prayer list and all the things that she prayed for. I'm like, that's the kind of heart I want. When I grow up, I want to be like Irene. Uh, I, I think, I mean, that's, that's a Caleb-like heart. And that's my saying. I'm not saying, uh, you know, all you old folks, you got to get out there on the front lines. I'm saying where you're at and what you're able to do, devote it to service of the Lord. You see, Caleb didn't allow any room for wobble in his life. When he was young and when he was old, he watched his walk very, very carefully. He stayed very, very faithful and very consistent in his walk with the Lord. And he never had any wobble. I have a confession to make. One of the, one of the things I love watching on YouTube is skateboard fails. I don't know if you watch these. I could watch them all day long. But it's these people typically younger people, but sometimes you see the older people and you're like, oh man, you should know better, buddy. Um, and they think they're so cool. And usually the best ones, just, go, just, just YouTube downhill skateboard fails. You'll know what I'm talking about. But it's these guys and they, they, there's these like long stretches downhill and they'll get on the pavement and they'll get on their, their skateboard and they usually have a friend filming behind them. And they're like, oh, dude, you look so cool. And you watch, and it's like, oh, sure enough, maybe right away, maybe after a little while, usually after they pick up a lot of speed, you watch the skateboard, and it starts going like this. And I go, oh, it's coming. Oh, not long now. And then all of a sudden, you can just like, you can see their body like trying to adjust, trying to correct themselves. And man, then they're like, whoa, all over the place. And before you know it, they're like flying off the board, you know, tumbling. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> 
I hate to confess that, but you know, I'm like, ah, you chose to do that. You knew what was going to happen. <coughs> Sadly, I think some of us, and this is where we need to watch ourselves. This is where we need to guard ourselves because we can allow just a little bit of wobble into our spiritual lives. And over time, after a lot of years, that starts to grow and that starts to increase. And we got to be careful. Caleb was a man who never allowed any wobble into his life. And that's where this message is just as much for the younger, you younger folks, as it is for, for you older folks. And at this point, I'm not going to make any eye contact with who I'm talking about. I'm not going to, you're just going to, right here. <laughs> or like, look up at the lights. You know who you are. But for you younger folks, you on kind of the, the back end of the hill, we have to realize, I just said we, I wasn't going to do that. You need to, you, that, that you are on a journey for life. This is not just a season. Your devotion, your service to the Lord isn't just for now. It's not just, well, your kids are going through these ministries that you can serve. It's not just for when it's convenient, when you have the strength, when you have the, the energy for it or the time or or, or the resources or availability. It's not just for this one season, but service to the Lord is for life. And we also have to be very careful because you are rapidly establishing the trajectory of your life. You are rapidly establishing the path that you will be on for the rest of your life. And so you need to guard that path very carefully and make sure that you are lining yourself up very closely with who Jesus is and his mission for your life. For the older folks, Know that you are not retired from ministry. You are not called to live out the last phase of this life in ease and comfort and let ministry be taken care of by other folks. There are still things that you can do. There are still ways that you can serve. Maybe you're not called to take on the new church's bungee jump ministry. Granted. But there are still places that you... By the way, the church isn't starting a bungee jump ministry. I saw the students like, wait, what, what? Bungee jump ministry? Sign me up. But there are still things that you can do. There are still places that you can serve. There are still people that need to be mentored. There are still people and things that need to be prayed for and people that need to be cared for and people that need to be loved. You are a role model to the younger folks, so don't forget that. How amazing that at the end of Caleb's life, it could be said of him that he wholly followed the Lord. Think about that reputation. At the end of your life, when your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids are talking about you, what better thing could they say of you than that you wholly followed the Lord? When people talk about us as a church, what better thing could they say of us as, a, as Grace Community Church than that Grace Community Church is, is a body of believers that wholly follows the Lord? I know of no better reputation. But that doesn't come overnight. It comes by regularly, regularly taking on the trials that come with following the Lord. The big trials, the little trials, the little difficulties, the small acts of obedience that stretch us, that are difficult, the things that God calls us to that we're like, oh, that's going to be tough. It's those little things that establish who we are, that establish us. Number three, we need to be eager to face the circumstances that stretch you. Be eager to, take, to face the circumstances that stretch you. Verse 12. We need to recognize that the difficulties and the trials 
that we face are, God uses those to grow us. God uses those to stretch us. You who, are, you who do sports, you who work out, you know that that, that is difficult and that is painful, but you know it's a, it's a good kind of hurt. You know that, those are, that that is pain that makes your body stronger. That is a pain that stretches you. It's a pain that grows you. Let me ask you this. What is, what is, it, what is it in your life that you know God is calling you to do? What act of obedience? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a coworker that you know you need to share the gospel with, and you're like, ooh, that might not go well. I don't know. Maybe it's an act of forgiveness. Maybe there's someone that has just wronged you, and you are just holding on to that, but you know that you need to just take the, take the step of obedience and, and forgive. Maybe there is a ministry that you are being called to take on to serve an area of service here at the church, that you know you need to commit to, but you also realize, man, that's going to give up, like, that's going to cost some of my evenings. That's going to take some time away from, from my schedule. What is it that God's calling you to do that you know you need to do? And let me tell you this. It's hard, and it's, and it's inconvenient are not legitimate excuses. Those are not legitimate excuses. Caleb didn't use those excuses. But I think on the other side, I think we have the wrong thinking when it comes to trials. I think we look at these, at the, at these, these tasks, these things that God calls us to do, and we look at them as very, very difficult. And in a sense, yes, they are. But in a sense, they're actually the easier path. If you look at Caleb and you look at the 10 other spies, Caleb and Joshua, in the moment, it was much easier for those 10 spies and for really the nation of Israel as a whole. It was easier for them in that moment to say, let's just stay put. If we go into this land that God promises, yeah, it's really nice, but there's a lot of difficulties. There's a lot of people that want to kill us. There's a lot of battles we're going to have to fight. So instead of that, it's kind of comfortable right here. So let's just stay put. In that moment, it was easier. But fast forward 45 years later, they're all dead and gone and Caleb is still alive and going strong. You see, in the moment, disobedience is oftentimes the easier path. It's the more convenient path, true, in the moment. But I can never look back on a time in my life and look at sin and say, you know what, long-term, that was actually easier. I'm actually glad I did that. I can always look back on acts of obedience and faithfulness and say, in the moment, that was tough. It was hard to walk through that, no doubt. That was a tough season. But I am, I've never looked back and regretted that. I've never looked back and said, man, that small group was really, really tough, and what a waste. What a waste of my time. Nothing good came from that. I've never, I've never done that. The reality is that trust and obedience is always the easier thing in the long run, and we have to realize that. Not because of who it makes us, because how it transforms our lives, because how it makes us more and more like Jesus, because it turns us into the person that we were created to be. We, we start to live the life that God designed for us to live. Winston Churchill said this, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. You see, what we have with these difficulties that God has placed in front of us, with these trials, with these acts of obedience that we have to step forward in faith, they are opportunities cleverly designed and disguised as trials and difficulties. 
but they are opportunities to make us more and more like Jesus. And that is the ultimate goal. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, help us as we strive to become more like you. Um, God, I know in my own life, and I am sure with every other person here, there are things in front of us that um, are just a lot easier to avoid. Uh, it's just easier to say no to those things, to just kind of turn a blind eye to them. Uh, but God, help us to be like Caleb. Um, help us to be like Caleb and say, Lord, bring them on. Uh, you called us to them. Lord, help us to just take them. You, you're the one that won the battle on the cross. You're the one that's given us your Holy Spirit. Um, so God, help us to just walk forward in obedience. Help us to, as we begin to establish the pattern of our lives, uh, may it honor and glorify and reflect you. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. You're